0: So um, what we're doing in our second half so at the moment is we are looking at God and the economy. We're talking about God and the economy. And so Alice has been doing the first couple of talks. And Paul, who's a member of the church, is going to speak to us today. And we'll be, we've got an opportunity to respond to it as well at the end. So do grab a Bible, do grab an, um, something to take notes with if you want to. And uh, let me pray for you, Paul and then uh, and then we'll go we'll go from there so father let's all pray for paul let's let's pray together father thank you for paul thank you for the for the way that you uh, live through his life that you completely em- uh, embodied in him thank you for the way he hears your voice thank you for the joy that he has in the fellowship with you that he displays joy as one of his greatest traits so, Father, we prayed that joy would be uh, released to us, that we would hear the good news uh, joyfully and gleefully. And as we talk about money, would you open our eyes, Father, to your reality? Would you help us to see it as something that you made and that you are, you have ultimate power over and your leadership in it? So, come, Holy Spirit, come and speak, come and move. Thank you. You already are. Open our eyes to what you're doing, Father. Amen.
1: Thanks, Andy. Hey, everyone. Uh, I like coffee. Do you like coffee? Yes. You don't like it? Do, so do, uh, did you know that coffee is actually a drink historically uh, consecrated and blessed by the church? Did you know that? I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the story just to kind of warm up. Uh, it, you know, you won't find it in here. It's the, um, so co- co- coffee comes from, uh, originally the story was there was an, an Ethiopian goat herd. Who saw that his goats were eating coffee cherries and were getting kind of wired. You know, the goats were jumping around. And he thought, well I wonder if those are good to eat. So he tried them and he was like, wow, I got, I got like a real hit or a real caffeine hit. So he took it to the, he took it to the church to ask the bishop about it. And the bishop took one look at these berries, tried some and said, no, this is of the devil. And he threw the, he threw the coffee into the fire and sent the goat herd away. But later on that day, the, the monks came out to, you know, the, the, to pray, to do their evening vespers and, you know, their, their kind of night watch. And they smelled the coffee burning in the fire. And they thought, wow, that smells really good. I wonder if it would be good to drink. So they brewed it up into a drink and they were all drinking the coffee and they found it helped them help them stay awake all night to pray and when the bishop got up in the morning and he found out that the monks had been staying up all night to pray he changed his mind he said no i got it wrong it's not of the devil it's actually from the holy spirit and so he blessed it and consecrated coffee as a drink and and that's how the global coffee industry began <laughs> i i just thought you might you might find that interesting um, so my source was a, a colombian coffee grower a Colombian coffee grower who, while she, while she was telling this story, actually had a goat that kept stealing the coffee cherries from the table and got increasingly wired. So goat, goats do get wired on caffeine. <laughs> um, thanks, Holy Spirit. Uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about money, um, God's, God's view on the economy. I'd like to subtitle this, There's Nothing More Spiritual Than Money. That's my talk today, Nothing More Spiritual Than Money. And to that end... There's nothing more tricky to cast out than a money demon. So if you don't don't mind, um, I would like a little bit of help. And thank you, Andy, for for praying. I would also like to pray. But I'd like you to pray for yourself as well at this moment. Um, And in doing so, to engage your spirit. And if you don't know how to do that, that's absolutely fine. Just just agree with it. (laughs) That's all we're doing. Uh, We're we're engaging our spirit because what what I find is when we address these kinds of topics, it's really easy. Stuff starts happening in the room and it's like all sorts of things come up inside us to try and deflect from what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. So my prayer is that we would engage our spirit. So however you want to do that, maybe sometimes I just put my hand on my heart because I think vaguely if I were to pick a place my spirit is, is there. I mean, I don't know, but that helps me. Um, So if you want to do that, then do that. Or close your eyes. Whatever you do to kind of help yourself focus. And I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, just think to yourself, Okay, Holy Spirit, help me engage my spirit right now. So Father God, thank you that you create seeing eyes and hearing ears. That means you are the one who enables us to receive. You give us the grace to hear. You give us the grace to see. You enable us to receive what you are giving to us by your spirit. So we in faith, agree with you, and we engage our spirits, we call our spirits to attention, to listen and hear exactly what you have for us. And Father, I bind every demonic voice that would try and confuse, obfuscate, deflect, or dampen what you are trying to say to us today. We are listening, we are hearing. Thank you, Jesus, you are speaking. Amen. Nothing more spiritual than money. I don't have a huge amount of time this morning because this is Sunday morning. Um, I would like to spend hours and hours on the topic. Um, please excuse me if I use Pentecostal language. I would like—I would prefer to kind of qualify. I'll use words like supernatural, um, and I would rather be able to qualify these and get into them. I don't have time today, so you just have to take it. If you've got a problem with the language, happy to talk about it afterwards. I have a problem with the language too. I just don't have better language, so um, bear with me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I've, got to be, I've just got to be a bit Pentecostal today. Is that okay? Is that legal in a congregations church? Um, I think anything goes in a congregations church. Right? That's <laughs> uh, Jesus, that's on the live stream. It's, uh, that's it. it's out there forever now. Um, in, in, my, uh, in my ministry, which is... I, I started preaching 23 years ago, believe it or not... Um, and one of the things I was always motivated by was I, I wanted to see God do spectacular things. Just wanted to see him do spectacular things. And so um, for the longest time, I was very focused on wanting, okay, God, I want to see, if, I've seen, if it's in the Bible, I want to see it happen. If, some, if there's a healing, if there's some kind of miraculous thing, you know, I would like to see it. I, I, I want to experience it, and I want to share it with others. And so that, that motivated a lot of, it it didn't drive the ministry for me, but it was always a threat. I wanted to say, okay, if, if I've seen something happen, I want to see something greater. God, there's always more, right? There's always more. And as a, a friend of mine once said, to say there is more is not to undermine the cross. It is to mine the cross, to mine it, that there's always more available. If The, the Bible says, God has put inside us the Holy Spirit who is able to do immeasurably abundantly beyond anything we could ask for him or imagine. And it says, according to the power at work in us, the Holy Spirit. So it's not just he's theoretically able to do immeasurably or abundantly more. It's he's able to do immeasurably abundantly more according to what he has already put inside us in his spirit. And, I mean, I could be really simple about it. If God took the time and effort to put the power to do immeasurably or abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine in us, it must be because he wants to do immeasurably or abundantly more than what we could ask for or imagine. This it's quite straightforward in that way, in that sense. Of course none of us really believe it. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, None of us know how to pray either. The Bible says that too, Romans eight, you don't know how to pray. So great. If you feel like you don't know how to pray, congratulations, you've reached a new level of spiritual maturity. Actually realising you don't know anything. <laughs> I saw down there there's a little Bible called the Beginner's Bible. I thought every Bible's a beginner's Bible. Um, there's no such thing as an expert's Bible. Uh, So, with that that in mind, um, immeasurably or abundantly more. So, just work with me on that one. And then we're going to dive into the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I've got a few thoughts that have been coming to mind for me over the last couple of weeks as I've been mulling this over and and praying about what I was going to say today. So, immeasurably, abundantly more than you can ask for or imagine. So, we'll just work with those. What can you ask for and what can you imagine? The Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, just get, it, get an idea in your mind of what seems like something you could imagine God could do or would do or would want to do, and what you might dare to ask him to do get get that kind of benchmark in your mind, get a visualize it, and now basically add another couple of zeros to the end that 's sort of what he 's saying he's, God is able to do he, he even makes up a word you know in the Greek immeasurably abundantly the There is no other instance of this word. He he has to stick a whole bunch of superlatives together in order to create something. He's trying to say, God is able, according to what he has put inside you, to do so much more than you could mentally conceive. Your mind is not able to contain or conceive what God can do and wants to do in you and through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit who's living in you, in union with you. We can't process this stuff with a natural mind. That's why I prayed at the start. It's easy for the demonic, whatever that is, and I I don't even know, I just know it's real, But but it's easy for the demonic to deflect. It's like it bounces off kind of like a hard ground. Ground that's very hard doesn't absorb water. It sort of sits on the surface. It's a little bit like that with our minds a lot of the time. Our thinking is conditioned by our experience in the world, and we talk about these things, it's like, yeah, okay, I I kind of get what, I can sort of intellectually follow what you're saying with the words, but it's not somehow reaching the heart. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is turning the lights on on the inside and breaking through from the inside out. This is what Jesus is wanting to do in us. It's what he is doing in us. And so when we prayed the way that we did to engage our spirits, it's kind of saying, all right, Jesus, I'm agreeing with you doing that. You have to... You have to work this from the inside out. This isn't something that we in our rational, natural minds can grasp. It's only something that can be graced within us and upon us by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of good conclusions from that. One is it doesn't depend on you. You can't apprehend the Holy Spirit. Uh, the um, Father George Makaris, a Coptic monk in Bristol. Maybe some of you guys know him. Egyptian monk. He said to me once... You can never apprehend the Holy Spirit. You can't get the Holy Spirit and put the Holy Spirit in a box or get Him to do what you want. You can never apprehend Him outside of yourself. You're only going to locate the Holy Spirit in you as He turns the lights on. So, immeasurably, abundantly, beyond anything we could ask for or imagine. We could just take that one and camp there for a while. Say, Holy Spirit, help! You need to undo, loosen the bolts of my mind because I'm too tightly wound. I need to be unwound, undone. Most of what the Holy Spirit's doing is actually undoing rather than doing, in fact. Undoing all of the complex web of confusion that we have inherited or, or contributed to, constructed in our views of the world. Jesus does that, of course, by throwing hand grenades in the room a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, those of you who have heard me speak before know I've talked about that. Um, But when we come to the subject of money, the reason I was kind of talking about wanting to see miraculous things, is my experience has been two things have more uh, devastating impact on the moving of the Holy Spirit and our participation in that, in our seeing wonderful things happen. Two things, in my experience, have the most devastating impact – One is breakdown in relationship. It's disunity and breakdown between teams and believers. That's probably number one. And number two, the close second, is an inability to get beyond the problem of money as a mindset issue. For years, I I spent my 20s. We we used to call it living by faith. I mean, basically, I spent my 20s living without a fixed income. Let's, Let's call it like that. Living without a fixed income and trusting God to bring in the finance. And he did. And I was fine. Um, you know, I was taken care of by the Holy Spirit. But I realized at a certain point, there are all these people I know in ministry who all have the same problem, and it's with money. And they all say the same thing, I'm not very good with money. There are other people who are gifted with money, I'm good with ministry, I'm not good with money. I've heard that so often, and I said words to that effect myself. And one day I thought to myself, well, no, nobody seems to be any good with money, and, and the the problem with money seems to be defeating all these amazing endeavors around the country that I know of, somebody needs to figure this out and needs to get, get a little bit better at it so we can get some kind of a breakthrough. And from that moment, I, I, I really set my face towards, okay, Holy Spirit, I need you to break me out of the constraints of my thinking around money, material fi, material wealth, finance, whatever, however we, we classify it. I need to get broken out of that because we, we need to see that breakthrough. Uh, for, for us in the church. And uh, so I, I think I got really excited when a few weeks ago uh, Alice started up this topic. Really, really excited. And I was also really excited she preached the same message twice. And if you haven't heard it yet, go and listen to it. And if you've heard it twice, go listen to it a third time. Um, because we have to keep listening to this stuff. I know how sticky this wicket is. <laughs> how difficult it is to dislodge the thinking on money we need to spend a long time on it it doesn't come quickly Uh, the kingdom never really comes quickly actually it comes here a little there a little line on line it's just in in increments and then that's what's happening behind the scenes and then amazing stuff suddenly happens but it's not really a suddenly it's part of a very long slow process of incremental process so i i said to alice please can we spend more time on this in just a couple of weeks um, if we as a church, I'm convinced, if we as a church really commit to engaging with the subject and allowing the Holy Spirit to upgrade us in it, it will release and unlock everything else. I do, I do really believe that. Nothing is more spiritual than money. Jesus talked about money as a person. He gave it a name. He called it mammon. And that's not the name of a demon because he says you can be faithful with it or unfaithful with it. And Jesus never asked anyone to be faithful with a demon, right? So, but he talked about it as a, as a person. And anyone who has engaged with money on any level knows that it does not behave like a thing. Money doesn't behave like a thing, not like an inanimate object. It behaves like it has a personality. It has an entity to it, and you can kind of interact with it in a personal way. It's very, very, very strange. But I can only tell you that that has 100% been my experience. Money is a very strange thing. And I could go into some deep dives as to why I think that's the case. Don't have the time. Very happy to discuss it with anyone who's also that way inclined. But all I can say is you, you have to think of money like a person, not like a thing. Jesus thought of money like a person. And one of the other things I've noticed about it is what is going on inside me is more significant than what's going on outside of me in terms of what's happening with money. And by that I mean, we all know that there are very real financial issues and circumstances, and that there are balance sheets and all these things. These are real. But what I noticed is, as my heart began to get freed by the Holy Spirit on the subject of money, Before anything had changed in my external circumstances, it changed in my internal world. And then what followed was the external world began to reshape around what God had done in me. Something happened on the inside. It's like, oh, I've been freed in my thinking. Now suddenly things are changing in in the physical world. And I can't explain to you why just this is the reality of it. It's like a, it's like having a personal relationship with money. Um, it's like, okay, my heart has got healed in that relationship. Now the relationship has improved. I was in a dysfunctional relationship with this person, and things weren't working well. We did some work. We got it sorted out. Now suddenly everything's working better, just the way that it is. It's spiritual. Um, ask Holy Spirit to help you get it. I mean, I... I And as I said, we're all beginners. I'm not an expert here. Let me show you something from the feeding of the 5,000. That tree is covering up my clock, but I've got a few minutes left at least. Um, feeding of the 5,000, only miracle present in all four Gospels. Pretty significant miracle. You get a slightly different angle from every one. I want to paraphrase a little bit from the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then I want to go into some specific points from John. Uh, because John highlights what I'm really trying to say here. So in the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it begins, John the Baptist gets beheaded. Jesus' close friend and cousin, he gets beheaded by Herod. And then it says Jesus wants to go, he wants to re- go away to a, a solitary place. He wants to c- withdraw from the, the crowds and go and spend some time first with his disciples and then with God. And he does that, but what happens is the people figure out where he is and they follow him. So think about Jesus here for a moment. His very close friend has just been killed. He's wanting to go and deal with the grief of that and process it with his father. So, he, And put, people are putting a lot of demand on him. He withdraws to do it, but he doesn't get to do that. So he's already at this pla- in this place of having expended a lot of emotional and spiritual energy now he's withdrawing to recharge and spend some time with his his disciples but then people come and put more of a demand on him so he's in the stretch zone jesus is in the stretch zone and it says when they came he heals a whole bunch of people and then he ends up spending the whole day preaching and teaching so he's already tired he already wants to get away then the people arrive it says he's moved with compassion he heals them and then he starts teaching and he spends the whole day with them and you can imagine he's, te- he's teaching the whole day. It's like eight, ten hours, non-stop. He doesn't get a break. He's not stopping to eat. He's not stopping to drink. Everybody's exhausted. And then it comes to the end of the, the end of the day, and then he does the miracle of the feeding of the five thousand. After that, in Matthew's gospel, especially, gives the most detail. It's interesting. Right after the feeding of the five thousand is then the miracle of the walking on water. And then after the miracle of the walking on water, then Jesus' ministry goes, it gets upgraded. The amount of healing that he sees now exponentially increases. There's like an inflection point in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, if, if you study it out. And this kind of corresponds with what I was saying about if we crack this issue of money, and here the feeding of the 5,000 is related to money, but also material needs being satisfied. So, Food. You need money to buy food, or something. So it's, it's all the same mix: money, food, heating, whatever. This is the stuff that we need from in economic terms in order to survive and order to do anything. So th- this inflection point happens. I think it's interesting. It happens when Jesus himself is in need. He's hungry, and that hunger that's in him. I, I, I get this feeling that there was a sort of a kind of empathy that he had with the people who were there, also hungry. It was very acutely present for him because he himself was hungry. He was in need at that moment. He needed something to eat. He hadn't eaten all day, and he was already tired and wanting to draw aside. So that something going on inside of him, I think that there's maybe a connection. But just a couple of words from John on this. Um, So from John 6... um, A huge crowd kept following him because they saw the miracles as he healed the sick. Jesus went up to the hills and sat down with his disciples. He saw a great crowd and looking for him and turning to Philip, he said, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. A couple of points of backstory. Uh, Philip is one of the first disciples to get called in John. He's one of the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But... The synoptics tell us that this miracle took place in the region of Bethsaida, which is Philip's hometown. So where this miracle takes place is Philip's hometown, pretty much, or the hills around his hometown. So the people who would have been there, is, it's Philip's relatives. It's his friends, his family, people who he knows. Not all of them, because there's a lot, but, but these, these are his people. This is his patch. So I think this is one of the reasons Jesus said, spoke to Philip. Why did he turn to Philip as opposed to someone else? This is Philip's patch. And he asks him a question, where can we buy bread? And Philip says, it would take a small fortune. He actually says, about about 20 grand. So you, it's, it's going to take more than six months of working full time to pay for enough food for these people. So, if we think about it, the response is about money and it's about effort. Jesus says, where, where can we get money to buy this? And Philip's like, well, I don't know, if you've got, if you've got nine months, I could... Go, go work on it. So he immediately, his immediate response is he thinks about it in terms of amounts. What amount of money do we need? And he thinks about it in terms of what effort do, what would I need to put in in order to get that amount? How much work would I need to put in in order to secure it? Notice that's not Jesus' question. Jesus asks an open question, where can we get the money? Where can we buy it? Like where? Where does something like this come from? And Philip's response to the where is my effort and my accounting. That's his response. Then Andrew said, "Well, here's a young boy with five loaves and fish, but what good is that with the crowd?" And then you know the story: Jesus takes it, he blesses it, and and it multiplies. Um, another little uh, highlight here: He says um, uh, they he, he, they all ate until they were full. Or another translation says. Um, he, he gave them to all as much as they wanted so it wasn't a case of well every, everybody gets a small amount it was well, how, however much do you want you know pe- people, uh, people have different calor- calorific needs right? some people are going to need 2,000 calories a day some people 1,500 some people 3,000 You know, he gave them as much as they wanted there wasn't a sense of well okay that's, this, that's enough for you it's like you want more eat more Philip, by the way, is, he in the end of John, he also asks this question, Jesus, would you just show us the Father and it will be enough for us? And Jesus says to him, have you not figured it out yet, Philip? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is where he has this conversation. Uh, my face is the face of the Father. Philip thought, well, nobody could see the Father's face and live. And Jesus is like, but you've been staring at the face of the Father all this time. And not only... Does that mean you live? But it means you have life in all of its fullness. This is his grenade. He's grenading the room all the time. The problem that Philip had here was that when Jesus asked him the question, his point of reference was his own internal template around what is financially possible and what is financially reasonable. And all of us have this internal template. We inherit it from our families, from our cultures. And the template is a very simple one. It, there's a there's a grade, a scale, and there's a line in the middle of the scale, a very narrow band. And above that band is called too much. And below that band is called not enough. Here's too much, here's not enough. We all have it. For some people, it's like, well, it's, it would be too much... For me to have a car, I don't need it. That's that's extravagant. For someone else, it would be. It's not enough for me to only have one car. We require two in the family. For someone, it's it's uh, it's too much for me to uh, go on holiday abroad. For another, it's um, it's it's an extravagance for me to go on holiday where I'm I'm not in. My friend's broken down caravan and I, it only cost me 15 pounds for the week. We have a narrow band that's called not enough. Th- this is what we feel comfortable with, where we naturally lie. And it's a very narrow band. If you, if you think about the amounts, talking about amounts, like, well, it, emotionally, what's our reaction? Oh, that's a bit extravagant. So-and-so bought that coat and they didn't buy it secondhand. And gosh, that coat cost 150 pounds. That's a little bit much. Or, you you know, we we have these things that that live inside us and it's a script. That script runs and it presents itself as judgments when we look at ourselves and we look at everybody else. And whenever the subject of money comes up, that script begins to run. And we start thinking, oh, am am I giving enough? Am I, was it right for me to spend that at this point when, for me to go to that restaurant when there's a homeless guy who's hungry outside the restaurant? What do I do about that? Is it right? There's this thing called middle class guilt, right? Um, you turn on the television and you see all kinds of issues that are happening in the world. It's like, well, is, is it is it right for me to turn on the heating when other people can't afford to turn on the heating? Is it right for me to be putting any gas in the car when climate change? You know, whatever. With these scripts, what is too much? What is not enough? Of course, you would never, probably never say, oh, it's a it's an extravagance to actually afford food to give to my children. You're probably not going to say that. But then there are people in the world for whom it's like, well, actually, it would be extravagant for me to eat that when I could give it to my children or to my, you know, neighbors or something. And and people who live very much in that that mentality of what's at their own expense, having to give to others. I, I have to look after everybody else's needs and not my own. There's this mentality too. All all, all of this is to say is we have a script, and in this script we have this narrow band of what we consider to be acceptable or reasonable, and above that is too much, below that is not enough. And we judge. We judge ourselves, we judge others. Philip's got this going on. He has in mind what's too much, what's not enough. And Jesus asked him a question that's to blow that judgment apart, because the thing is, that judgment is based on worldly things. It's not based on a knowledge of God. And this is what I believe he wants to liberate, liberate us into. Um, you see, Alice started God, by saying God loves a cheerful giver. What, what's cheerfulness got to do with it? When there is a need out there, what does it matter whether or not you're cheerful? Because it's about facts, it's about quantities, and it's about amounts. What does it matter that it's cheerful? Well, it matters a lot because the thing is, I don't know if you realize this, but God can materialize gold bars out of thin air. Did you realize that? Because he did. <laughs> when he created the world, he materialized gold bars out of thin air. I don't know if you realize this, but the difference between 100 pounds and a 1,000 pounds is just a zero to God. It's just a question of zeros. To us, those zeros, those nothings, mean an awful lot because we've been so calibrated to think about it in worldly terms. How? In, what's Jesus' terms? He says to Peter, oh, they want us to pay the temple tax? Well, frankly, they don't have a right to ask us to pay it. But you know what? Let's not offend them. Go catch a fish. You'll find some gold in it. <laughs> That's Jesus's response. You see, the question of where can we buy all of this food for Jesus is not a question of economics. It's not like what's going on in the world around us and can we can we measure an account well in order to manage it. That's all good. Do Do it. Get good at accounting. It's an important thing. But the bottom line is for him, it's like... Where, where can I get it? He says, I know where I can get it because heaven's storehouses are always full. Where did that bread and fish come from? It didn't come from that basket. There was only five loaves and two fish. How did it turn into like 20,000 loaves and fish? Where did that come from? It, it, it came out of heaven's storehouse immeasurably abundantly beyond anything we could ask for or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. Well, that's the power at work in Jesus as well. That's what he drew. He drew from that. It's like, I'm just going to withdraw from this storehouse to feed these people. He didn't look at it and say, we need to come up with all of these great plans for how we're going to do it. And again, do that. Make the plans. It's fantastic. But at a certain point, your plans will break down. There is a a place we get to when our plans cannot accommodate the extent of the need. And at a certain point, you realize, I'm at the end. I can't actually engineer a better outcome than what I've got. And, and again, that's different according to our capabilities. For some of us, we're used to handling very big budgets. Other, others of us are just not. My experience is when you get around people who are dealing with really extreme budgets, they tend to get very strange. They get funny. Most of us are not, are not well equipped. I don't think really hardly any of us are equipped to handle significant wealth because it's not sorted out in our hearts. And in the church, we normally have a double problem. One is either money's not talked about at all, or when it's talked about, it's it's framed with this worldly mentality. Either it's framed in in terms of extravagance and lack, so you get the kind of prosperity gospel, which is the problem with the prosperity gospel is not that God wants to bless you, because he does... The problem with the prosperity gospel is it's transactional. It makes it about, well, I do these things and therefore God's going to bless me. It's like, look, God already gave you his son. The Bible says, how will he not also along with him give you everything else? Y- your problem is you think you can still trade with God. You can't trade with him. He's already lavishly by his grace pouring this out. Or the other extreme is we get into this very morose kind of, well, I have to, I have, I have to give until it hurts. It's like, look, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. In order for you to be free to give, you also have to be free not to give. Let me say it again. In order for you to be free to give, you also have to be free not to give. This is really, really important. To be a cheerful, hilarious giver, you have to be free. If it's under compulsion, if it's like, well, it's my duty, it's like, okay, when you're there... It's, it's very hard to enter into the ecstatic fullness of joy of the joy of heaven around giving, and you will always find there's a limit. You can push it so far, and then it's like, well, okay, I've done my duty now. It, that's just enough. I've done it. When we're in that place of hilarity, it's saying, wow, do you know what? What would it look like to just give ten houses away? Well, I don't even have one house. Oh, I know, but maybe we could give ten away. Maybe we could... What, what would it look like? Maybe we could actually just solve the problem of world hunger not just like feed a few people perhaps there's something going on there maybe we could bless all of these people this christmas maybe we could just give a thousand christmas boxes out not just a hundred i've got a friend in in pakistan and he's doing this right now trying to fundraise for 50 families christmas boxes and so far we've fundraised enough for about two thirds of that and i said to him look whether or not the money comes in you give it out to all those people because it's not coming from the money, it's coming from your Father in Heaven. He can multiply it. And he does. And I don't have time to tell you stories about things that have happened, because I'm already over time. And I'm under very strict instructions when you go to ministry. And we're going to. But we have to be free. A, we've, got, we've got to have that freedom in our hearts. That freedom is, is saying, look, it doesn't depend on me. This was Philip's problem. He wasn't free. He still thought it depends on me. What do I have to do? I would have to work all this time. I'd have to raise all this money. And Jesus is like, no, just look to me. You do the simple, I'll do the hard. Will you agree with me and engage your spirit in faith for these things? And it's hard to engage your spirit in faith for external breakthroughs for others if there's still this unresolved issue in your heart about, well, is God really good? Does he really love me? has he got my best interests at heart? Is he going to take care of me? And the answer is yes to all of those things, but we have to see it for ourselves. We can't just take it intellectually. It's like, Jesus, we need you to show us the life that you have come to give us. You have to show it to us. We can't apprehend it by our own cognition. Last couple of thoughts. Faith working through love is all that matters. This is what the Bible says. Faith working through love is all that matters. Faith anchors me to the reality that God can provide anything and everything. And thats it's a difficult equation when we've had disappointments or things that haven't worked out. And this goes for healing too. And we were praying about that earlier. Like, it, that's a difficult equation. But at a certain point, you have to say, look, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God will save us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we won't worship your God. That's a good position of faith. like, God's going to heal me. Even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. God's going to provide financially to do X, Y, Z. Even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. But, but faith, this is where my faith is. There's faith in humility there. The humility says, well, I don't get the full picture, so I don't necessarily know everything that's happening. But my faith is he's good and this is what he's going to do. And then love says, it's like, I've actually got enough compassion, eyes to see other people, so that I can deploy my faith for them. It's not just faith for me. You know, if you can believe that God will pay your rent every month, you can believe he'll pay off your mortgage, What's the difference? It's just zeros, right? It's equally small to you, it's equally big to him. And if you can believe that God could pay off your mortgage, maybe he could pay off your friend's mortgage. Maybe he could pay off the mortgage for the guys in the street, you know. Whatever. This is how we can grow in faith. When we as a community begin to get on that train, the miracles that begin to happen, the excitement that begins to happen, it becomes contagious in a community. And then it's not long before other things happen too, like we saw in Jesus' ministry, suddenly there's the walking on the water. Suddenly there's this explosion of healing because something happened around material wealth. Thank you, Lord. I don't have time to talk about Marxism. Come talk to me about it. I'll give you, I'll give you just the headline. Marxism is the biggest Protestant heresy to ever have emerged. It's love without faith, Com- compassion for people without being anchored into the... the the absolute supply of heaven father we need you we need you to blow our minds we need you to recalibrate our hearts holy spirit design is going to come and play um, we want to make some room for people to pray for each other so uh Maybe I could just invite you to stand. I, I hate people asking me to stand doing a yoga thing. If you want to stay sitting down, sit down. But if you would like to stand, please stand. Um, nobody wants to, but that's cool. We're going to pray. <laughs> I'm going to stay standing for the live stream. Um, and I, I want to pray. First of all, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to highlight within us what limiting, ungodly beliefs we have about money or in this topic to highlight them just for us as individuals so that we can say, oh, I realize that's a lie and I'm going to disagree with it now. I'm going to pray that first. And then second, if you want, if you want prayer, I'd love to pray for people. I'm just going to be down here off, off the camera. I'd love to pray for you if, you if you want me to pray. There are others here who also would love to pray for you or maybe you want to go and pray for somebody. Please take the time to do it. So, Holy Spirit, right now, would you reveal in our hearts Where the lie has been sitting, where we have viewed things with a downgraded vision, where we've had human judgments rather than heavenly wisdom and revelation, where we've had fears, maybe fears that we've inherited generationally from generation after generation, where it's never been enough, where that script has been running, that anxiety. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And right now I speak to those fears and I say the perfect love of the Holy Spirit cast out those fears now. That you break the lie, Holy Spirit. You break the lie of those fears. Wow. You set us free. You release us into your joy. Thank you, Jesus. We do believe because you are the believer inside us. You believe on our behalf. Thank you. Spirit of faith. I give you permission to believe through me right now. Where my vision has been too small, where it's been shrunk by life and disappointment and by experience, I don't deny that Holy Spirit, but I give it to you to just undo it. Maybe you want to pray this, Holy Spirit. Show me the lie I've been believing. The Holy Spirit, I renounce the lie. Speaking out, I renounce the lie that it depends on me. I renounce the lie that there's never enough. I renounce the lie that it's not going to end well. I renounce the lie that it's always somebody else and not me. I renounce the lie that I can't feel your presence. (laughs) I renounce the lie that I can't hear your voice. I renounce the lie that you're not there. Jesus, what's your truth? Come and teach me. (laughs) Show me what you need me to see. Lead me into your rest. Don't leave today without prayer if you need prayer. There's... I, I don't know, maybe, maybe today something is just going to break for you that's never broken before. You're going to cross over a line like never before. Holy Spirit, let that be the case. Father, for us as a community, when there's so much need, thank you that you're connecting us with heaven's resources. You've seated us in union with you. The Bible says, if anyone is in trouble, let him pray. Get someone to pray with you. If you're worried about Christmas, if you're worried about the bills, or if you're worried for someone else, like, let's pray. Father God, as we move forward, I thank you that you are leading us into the life that Jesus has for us. Life that is in all of its fullness. Life that's blessed. And that life is able to be even more of a blessing to others. I thank you that that doesn't come actually at our expense. It comes at the expense of your son who gave us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. So Jesus, we leave room for you to do in us what you've come to do. And I pray that as we move on from this year into 2024, 2023 even, so prophets go too far in the future, um, 2023, uh, that we would see your miraculous blessing in our community and that it would vitalize And energize joy and faith and that that would become contagious and something that others could be welcomed into and they could catch and I pray for all the plans and the efforts that are going on from here, all the initiatives that they would have your your wisdom and your gracing on them, that they would be successful commit whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed in Jesus name, I'm still going to be here if anyone wants prayer, don't go without someone praying for you, thanks
0: should we just thank Paul? Thank Paul for his message. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You always leave me in trouble, Paul, because I've got so much to think about. Oh, very good. Thank you so much.